Capital, my dear Watson. Let us return to our humble abode. 221B Baker Street, please, Gary. From London, we present The Six Napoleons, a play for radio by Michael Hardwick, based on the short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Six Napoleons. It was no unusual thing for Mr. Lestrade of Scotland Yard to look in of an evening at 221B Baker Street. Holmes was always ready to listen with attention to the details of any case from which the inspector was engaged. Without active interference, Holmes was able occasionally to give some hint or suggestion drawn from his own vast knowledge and experience. On this particular evening, Lestrade had spoken of the weather in the newspapers. Then he had fallen silent, puffing thoughtfully at his cigar. Holmes looked keenly at him. Anything remarkable on hand, Lestrade? No, Mr. Holmes. Nothing very particular. Then tell me all about it. <laughs> well, Mr. Holmes, there's no use denying there is something on my mind. But I reckon it comes more in Dr. Watson's line than ours. What is it, disease? Madness, more like. Madness? Yes, and a queer sort of madness, too. You wouldn't think there was anyone living nowadays with such a hatred of Napoleon that he'd break any statue of his he could find. Breaking statues of Napoleon? Oh, that's no business of mine. Didn't I say so? But then when a chap commits burglary in order to get at them... Burglary? But this is more interesting. Let me hear the details. Well, the first case was four days ago. Shop belonging to a man named Morse Hudson in the Kennington Road. Sells pictures, statues and so on. Yes. The assistant stepped into the back of the shop for a few minutes, heard a crash, went hurrying back again and found a plaster busted Napoleon lying smashed to bits on the counter. He ran into the street, and one or two people told him they'd seen a fellow running away. No hopes of identifying him. Hooliganism, perhaps. Well, that's what the constable on duty thought, Doctor. I mean, the bus wasn't worth more than a few shillings. No. However, the second case, another, was more serious. And more singular. And it occurred only last night. Where? Kennington Road again. A few hundred yards from Morse Hudson's shop, there's a doctor named Barnicott. Big practice. He is also an enthusiastic admirer of Napoleon. Got a house full of books, pictures, and relics of the French Emperor. Well, not long ago, he bought two of Morse Hudson's plaster casts of old Boney. He put one in the hall of his Kennington place and the other on the surgery mantelpiece in Lower Brixton. When he came down this morning, he found his house had been burgled in the night. But only one thing had been taken. The plaster cast? Yes. It had been carried outside and smashed against the garden wall. This is certainly very novel. Go on, Lestrade. <laughs> yes. Yes, I thought it would please you. And guess what he found when he got to his surgery at noon? An entry had been forced in the night, and the second plaster cast... Had been smashed to atoms where it stood. Exactly. So, there you are, Mr. Holmes. You've got all the facts. Now, they're singular, not to say grotesque. <laughs> Tell me... Were the two busts that were smashed in Dr. Barnicott's rooms exact duplicates of the one that was destroyed in Morse Hudson's shop? Well, they were taken from the same mould. Then such a fact must tell against the theory that the man who breaks them is influenced by any general hatred of Napoleon. Why, Holmes? Oh, consider how many hundreds of statues of the Emperor must exist in London. It's too much to suppose that any promiscuous iconoclast 
should begin by selecting three specimens of the same bust. Well, I thought that too, Mr. Holmes. On the other hand, Morse Hudson happens to be the purveyor of busts in that part of London, and these three were the only ones which had been in his shop for years. So you think a local fanatic would begin with that? Exactly. Well, don't you, Doctor? I mean, as a medical man? <clears throat> well, there are, there are no limits to the possibilities of monomania. For example, a man who had read deeply about Napoleon or who had inherited some legacy of hatred from the Napoleonic Wars might conceivably form some idée fixe and be capable of any fantastic outrage because of it. Highly scientific, my dear Watson, but it won't do. Why? No amount of idée fixe would enable your interesting monomaniac to find out where these busts were situated. Well, that's true. Well, how do you explain it? I don't attempt to do so. <laughs> I would only observe, Lestrade, that there's a certain method in the gentleman's eccentric proceedings. Method? For example, in Dr. Barnicott's hall, where a sound might arouse the family, the bust was taken outside before being broken. But in his surgery, where there was no danger of disturbing anyone, it was smashed where it stood. Uh, that isn't much to go on. I agree. I'll be much obliged, therefore, if you let me hear of any fresh developments. Good morning, Watson. Good morning, Jim. This affair of Lestrade's appears to be developing rapidly. Why? What, what, what's happened? This telegram. Hmm? Come instantly, 131 Pitt Street, Kensington. Lestrade. I fancy our image breaker has begun operations in another part of London. Now, be as quick as you can, Watson. There's coffee on the table, and I have a cab at the door. Oh, very well, Holmes. I'm glad you could come, Mr. Holmes. I never thought this affair would take such a grave turn. Why? What has it turned to then, Inspector? Murder. Murder? Yes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, may I introduce the owner of the house, Mr. Horace Harker of the Central Press Syndicate? How do you do, Mr. Harker? How do you do? You know, it's an extraordinary thing that all my life I've been collecting other people's news, and now that a real piece of news has come my own way... I'm so confused and bothered I can't put two words together. I understand. If I'd come in here as a journalist, I'd have interviewed myself and had two columns in every evening paper. Instead, what am I doing? I'm giving valuable copy away by telling my story over and over to a string of people. And I can make no use of it myself. Uh, just run through it once again for Mr. Holmes, will you? Well... It all seems to centre around the bust of Napoleon I bought for this very room about four months ago. I picked it up cheap from Harding Brothers, two doors from the High Street Station. Now you know that a journalist has a lot of his work at night. Of course. Well, in the early hours of the morning, I was writing in my den at the back of the house up top, and I thought I heard sounds downstairs. I listened, but there was nothing further, so I thought they must have come from outside. Then suddenly, there was the most horrible yell. It would ring in my ears as long as I live. What did you do? I grabbed the poker and went downstairs. Yes. Yeah. When I came into this room, I found the window wide open. And straightway, I noticed that the bust was gone from the mantelpiece. Why any burglar should take such a thing passes my understanding. I mean, it was only a worthless bit of plaster. Is that all you have to tell me, Mr. Harker? No. I ran to the front door, and when I opened it, I nearly fell over a dead man. Great heaven, on your doorstep. 
There he lay, poor chap, with a great gash in his throat, his mouth hanging open and his knees drawn up. Blood. The place was swimming in it. And then I must have fainted. I knew there was a constable standing over me in the hall. And the body's at the mortuary, Mr. Holmes. You can see it for yourself. We've made nothing of it up to now. The description? Uh, tall, sunburnt, uh, very powerful. Not more than 30. Yes. Shabbily dressed, but I don't think a laborer. Mm-hmm. There was a horn-handled clasp knife laying in the blood, but whether it did the deed, I can't say. Anything else? Nothing in his pocket save an apple, some string, a shilling map of London. Oh, and the photograph. Uh, this one. Oh. Oh, Ugly-looking mm. fellow. Like a baboon. Good chap. Distinctly, Simeon. But you haven't told me what became of the bust. It was found just before you got here. Smashed to pieces in the garden of a house in Camden House Road. Oh, I'm going there now. Are you coming? Certainly. Mr. Harker, are you coming with us? No, I'd better stay and try and make something of the story. But the first editions of the evenings will be full of it already, I don't doubt. Just my luck. Well, Mr. Holmes, do those shattered fragments of the bus tell you anything? No, Lestrade. We have still a long way to go. And yet, and yet the possession of this trifling bust was worth more than a human life. You mean the burglar stole it and then someone else killed him to get it home? So it seems. But when the murderer had achieved his object, he didn't break the bust there and then. No, he... He carried it several hundred yards to this place. He just killed a man. He wasn't going to hang about. Hmm, Likely enough. But I wish to call your attention to the position of this house. Well, it's just an empty house. He knew he wouldn't be disturbed here in the garden. Ah, but there's another empty house farther up the street, which he must have passed before he got to this one. Why didn't he break it there? Well, because... uh, Because... Oh, I give up. Then observe, Lestrade. Eh? Just over the wall, a street lamp. In this garden, he could see what he was doing. Well, Mr. Holmes, what are we going to do with that fact? To remember it. We may come upon something later that will bear upon it. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your next step, Lestrade? I reckon it's imperative we get that body identified. Find out who he was and who his associates were. Then we might learn what he was doing in Pitt Street last night. That ought to lead us to who killed him. Don't you think so? No doubt. And yet it's not quite the way I should approach the case. Well, what would you do then? Oh, you mustn't let me influence you in any way. I suggest that you go on your line and I on mine. We can compare notes afterwards. Very well, then. Oh, by the way, if you're going back to Pitt Street, you might tell Mr. Harker from me that I've quite made up my mind that a dangerous homicidal lunatic with Napoleonic delusions was in his house last night. You don't seriously believe that, Mr. Holmes? Don't I? Now, now, Holmes. Well, perhaps I don't. But I'm sure it'll interest the subscribers of the Central Press Syndicate. (laughs) Oh, I'll keep this photograph for the time being, if I may. Oh, certainly. And I should be glad if you could make it convenient to meet us at Baker Street at six o'clock this evening. Yes, yes. It's possible that I may have to ask your company and assistance on a small expedition tonight. I'll be there. Meanwhile, Watson, I think we shall find that we have a long and rather complex day's work before us. Commencing, I think, at the shop where this bust was purchased. Harding's in the High Street.
That's quite right, sir. I remember selling Mr. Harker the bust. We ordered three at the time from Geldron Company of Stepney. But they're all gone now. Uh, can you tell us to whom the others were sold, Mr. Harding? Oh, in a twinkling. Everything goes into this sales book. Yes? Uh, there. There, you see? I passed the bust of Napoleon to Mr. Horace Harker. Oh, yes, yes. Then here another to Mr. Josiah Brown. Uh, Brown. Laburnum Vale. Laburnum Vale. Uh, Chiswick. Chiswick. And the other to Mr. Sandiford. Sandiford. Lower Grove Road. Lower Grove Road. Ready. Ready. System, gentlemen. System. Admirable. I wonder whether your system would run to identifying the man in this photograph. Uh, no, Mr. Holmes. I see. Uh, do you employ a large staff, Mr. Hardy? A large-ish, large-ish. Are there any Italians? Oh, yes, there are. There are two or three work people and cleaners. Could any of them gain access to this sales book if you wished? I'd take a peep into it. Yes. Oh, yes, I dare say. Nothing confidential about it. Right, sir. Well, thank you, Mr. Harding. You've been most helpful. No trouble, gentlemen. Good day to you. Good day, Mr. Harding. Well, where to now, Holmes? Let us make for Mr. Morse Hudson in the Kennington Road and see if he can throw any light upon the problem. Yes, sir. Smashed on my very counter, sir. What we pay rates and taxes for when any ruffian is free to walk in and break one... You have my sympathy, Mr. Hudson. I take it you are the gentleman who sold two busts to Dr. Barnicot also. I am, sir. And there's another disgrace for you. Smashed both of them. Anarchists roaming our streets. Red Republicans. Oh, if I had May I ask where you obtained the statues? They came from Gelder and Company Stephanie, well-known house in the trade. And how many did you buy altogether? Three. And all smashed. Uh, do you recognize the man in this photograph? No, I do not. Just a moment. Yes, I do, though. Well? It's Beppo. Beppo? Italian fellow worked here for a time, did a bit of carving, gilding frames, odd jobs and piecework, you know. Didn't turn up one day last week. And I haven't heard of him since. But he left before the bust was smashed. Yes, he did. And now, gentlemen, I have other things to attend to. I wish you good day. Good day, sir. Good day. They're cast in two moulds, Stephanie. One from each side of the face is common. Yeah. Then they are joined together so to make their complete bust. The stains here, Holmes? Perfectly, Herr Gelder. The work is done entirely in this very room? Yes. By what sort of people? As you see, men and women. No, I mean, are they German or English ah, or... from Scotch or Welsh or... Italian? Yeah, Many Italians in the morning room work. Was the man in this photograph ever one of them? Rascal. Yeah, indeed, I know him very well. I tell you, Herr Holmes, the only time ever we have the police here was over this people. It's like a respectable heart. What did he do? Oh, he has another Italian stand. He's in the back. Oh, he's a street. Oh. <laughs> Uh, did, did, did he kill him? He was a man's living. Oh, Bebo, he did 12 more. How long ago was this? Oh, about one year. I have no doubt he's out now. 
When you referred to your ledger just now, you informed me that the date on which you sold three busts of Napoleon to Morse Hudson and three to Harding Brothers was June the 3rd of last year. Yeah, yeah. Can you possibly recall for me the precise date on which Beppo was arrested for the oh, stabbing? Yeah, I remember it well. Hmm? It was May the 20th. Yeah. May the 20th, June the 3rd. I'm much obliged to you, Herr Gelder. You've helped us very much indeed. Piper, I rise in Kensington. Murder by a madman. Piper. Yeah, my boy. I'll tell you. Piper. Piper. Well, at any rate, poor old Harker seems to have got his story into the paper. Yes? You listen to this. It is satisfactory to know that there can be no difference of opinion upon this case since Mr. Lestrade, one of the most experienced members of the official force, and Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the well-known consulting expert, have each come to the conclusion that the grotesque series of incidents which have ended in so tragic a fashion arise from lunacy rather than from deliberate crime. <laughs> is that what you'd hoped he'd write? The press, Watson, is the most valuable institution if you only know how to use it. <laughs> and now, if you can tear yourself away from that newspaper, we'll return to Baker Street. Yeah. I fancy we shall barely get back before the trade is due. Well, Mr. Holmes, what luck, eh? What luck? Oh, my friend and I have had a very busy day, Lestrade. Indeed? We've seen both the retailers and the wholesalers. I'm now in a position to trace each of the busts from its very beginning. The busts, eh? Well, well. You have your own methods, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and it's not for me to say a word against them. Still, I reckon I've done a better day's work than you. Oh, really? Yes, I've identified the dead man. You don't say so. Yes, one Pietro Benucci from Naples. By all accounts, one of the worst cutthroats in London. Connected with the Mafia. A secret society, you know. Really? Yes, so he uses murder to get his ends. So you see how the affair begins to clear up. The Mafia sets Pietro onto some other Italian who's broken the rules or something. Ah, the man in the photograph, I suppose. That's it. Uh, maybe they gave Pietro the photo to carry so he'd know his man. Yeah. Well, he dobs him, sees him into the house, waits for him to come out and attacks him. The other chap gets his knife out, and it's Pietro who dies. There, Mr. Holmes. How's that? Excellent, Lestrade. Excellent. Mm. Eh, Watson? Oh, brilliant. brilliant. Only... What? I didn't quite follow your explanation of the destruction of the bust. Busts? You don't seem to be able to get them out of your head. Pity larceny, that's all that was. Six months at the most. What we're on to is murder. Oh, well. And the next stage, then? Simple enough. I shall go down to the Italian quarter, find the man in that photograph we've got, and arrest him for murder. Will you come? I think not. I fancy we can attain our end in a simpler way. Oh? In fact, the betting is exactly two to one that if you'll come with us tonight, I shall be able to help you lay your man by the heels. To the Italian quarter? No. Chiswick. What? Chiswick? You come with me to Chiswick tonight, the spade. And I'll promise to go to the Italian quarter with you tomorrow. Well... I don't wish to leave before 11. I have some old newspapers to look through. In the meantime, Watson... Yes, Holmes? I should be glad if you would order an express messenger. I have a letter to send, and it's important that it should go at once. What place is this, then? 
Laburnum Villa, huh? the home of a Mr. Josiah Brown, who purchased one of the six busts. Oh, not busts, again. Six were purchased, four have been destroyed. As I told you, that leaves a two-to-one chance that we shall get something for our trouble this evening. You, you reckon someone will try and break in and get at the bust? They already have. What? There's a light moving in that room. Yes. So there is. Well done, Watson. Then come on. Let's get in and nab him. Oh, too late. What? He's climbing out. Oh, he's smashed it already. Quickly. Don't let him get away. Got you, my man. Silence. Let him all secure. Now let's get a look at him. Maria, non ho fatto niente, non sono cattivo. Madre mia, Oh, Bobby, yeah. It's a new paper photograph, all right, isn't it, Mr. Holmes? Here, what are you doing? Examining the fragments of the bust. No, Lestrade, our case is not finished yet. This is one of those cases which are worth working out to the very end. It's a little late for explanations now. Lestrade, yes? will you come to my rooms at six o'clock tomorrow? Oh, again? If you will, I think I shall be able to show you that even now, you have not grasped the entire meaning of this business. It has features which make it absolutely original in the history of crime. Ah, there you are, Inspector. Oh, uh, thank you, Doctor. Uh, my best respects. Not too strong on the gas. Oh, no, I think so, Well, then, Mr. Holmes. Ah, that will be our other visitor. Mr. Sandiford of Reading, I presume? Yes, sir. May I introduce uh, Dr. Watson and Mr. Lestrade? How do you do, Mr. Sandiford? I see that you have a bag with you. Uh, have you brought... Oh, yes, a... yes. Though I could know that I own such a thing, I can't imagine. Quite simply. Uh, Mr. Harding of Harding Brothers told me he had sold you the last one from his stock and gave me your address. Ah, that was it. You say you wish to purchase my copy of the Bean Butter Napoleon for ten pounds? That is so. Then I must tell you I gave only fifteen shillings for it. Your scruples do you honour, Mr. Sanderson. But I've named my price and I intend to stick to it. Then, sir, there is your bust. And there, sir, are your ten pounds. Oh, I'm much obliged. I imagine that's all? Um, except for one small formality. Oh. If you'll kindly sign this paper in the presence of my friends here. Paper? Or it simply says that you transfer every possible right that you ever had in this bust mm -hmm. to me. I'm a methodical man, you see. <laughs> I've heard of your famous methods, Mr. Holmes. There you are, sir. Thank you. And now I suppose you want to be getting back to Reading. Indeed. Good evening to you, Mr. Holmes. Gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening, Good evening Mr. Sanderson. Well, well, well. Just had to have one of those things for your collection, eh, Mr. Holmes? But ten pounds? I wouldn't give you a tuppence. And... Ah! Oh, Holmes, you smashed it! Gentlemen, let me introduce you to the famous Black Pearl of the Borgias. The what? Great heavens. Yes, gentlemen. The most famous pearl now existing in the world. And it's been my good fortune, by a chain of inductive reasoning... To trace it from the Princess of Colonna's bedroom where it was lost to the interior of this 
the last of the six busts of Napoleon manufactured by Gelder and Company's Stephanie. Remarkable, Holmes, but how on earth... You may remember that when the pearl disappeared, the suspected person was the princess's maid, an Italian. Her name, as it happens, was Lucrezia Venucci. Venucci? That's the name of the murdered man. Exactly. The brother she was known to have in London, but who couldn't be traced. Now, whether our murderer Beppo stole the pearl from Pietro, or whether they were accomplices and fell out, I do not know. The main fact which I discovered by looking it up in the old newspapers is that the pearl was stolen from the princess just two days before Beppo was arrested for stabbing another employee of Gelder and Company in the street. So, uh, where does that take us? It took Beppo, with the pearl in his possession and the police hot on his track for this stabbing, back to Gelder's factory where he worked. He knew he had only a few minutes to hide the pearl. Where should he put it? Six plaster casts of Napoleon were drying, and one of them was still soft. In an instant, Beppo made a small hole in the wet plaster, inserted the pearl, and covered up the traces. What a hiding place! Admirable! But by the time he emerged from prison a year later, the six busts had been sold. He had no means of knowing which of them contained his treasure. He had to track them down one by one and smash them open to find it. Well, I'm blowed. He carried out his search with considerable ingenuity and perseverance. He found four of the busts, but none of them contained the pearl. And on the fourth occasion, he fell foul of his ex-accomplice and murdered him. So that was it. Well, after the murder, I calculated that Pepper would probably hurry his movement for fear the police should get onto his secret and start looking for him again. He had found four busts. Two remained. The chances were, as I told you, two to one that the next he found would be the one he was seeking. It was obvious to me that he would choose the London one first. I warned the owner of the house by express letter to keep out of the way for fear of violence. The rest, you know. Having taken our man without finding the pearl on him, I could only assume that it must be concealed in the sixth and last bus as it was. Well, I've seen you handle a good many cases, Mr. Holmes. But I don't know that I ever knew a more workmanlike one than that. Thank you, Mr. Hayes. Thank you. Uh, put the pearl in the safe, Watson. And get out the papers on the Conk Singleton forgery case. Oh, goodbye, Lestrade. If any little problem comes your way at any time, I shall be happy, if I can, to give you a hint or two as to its solution. That was The Six Napoleons by Michael Hardwick, based on the short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Production for the BBC was by Martin C. Webster.